Welcome to the Indian Journal of Law and Public Policy podcast. Hello everyone, welcome to this new episode of the IGLPP podcast. I am your host Pranav Tawar, consulting editor at IGLPP. Here we discuss major happenings of legal and policy field this week. Today I have with me Avni Koshal and Saurabh Pandey. Avni Koshal is ex-LAM fellow and ex-senior editor of IGLPP and Saurabh is consulting editor with Journal. And today we have three important issues to discuss from last week. And I would like to start off with the most controversial one, which is ex-CJI Gogoi's nomination as a Rajya Sabha member among those 12 field experts by the President of India. The former CJI has come on record to defend this decision, but refused to give elaborate explanation to it. Um, so I will be starting off with Avni. So Avni, my question to you is that, you know, Mr. Gogoi is fifth Supreme Court judge and second CGI to be nominated as Rajya Sabha member. So if this entire nomination is not unprecedented, then why is it becoming so controversial? So hi Pranav, thank you for having me. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's a very good question that you've raised that if it's not unprecedented, then why is this whole issue? But I think uh, even if it's not unprecedented, I don't think that it's it, re- it really like sets a nice light on how we see the three arms of the government to say. Because uh, see, the point is uh, that two wrongs do not make a right. And if, if we were discussing uh, just post-retirement benefits to people uh, of positions in pow- of power, then perhaps we would also want to see how judiciary is also like a very strong stakeholder in trying to, you know, maintaining a balance. And I say this on, and I see this in this slide, and I'll try to explain it as uh, succinctly as possible, that on one hand, you have say some something, say like a Lord Denning telling us that once a man becomes a judge, he has nothing to gain from further promotion. And on the other hand, we have Justice, ex-Justice, uh, Justice Gogoi telling us that uh, when the president asked for his services, he couldn't refuse. So, I mean, I'm not trying to, I'm only drawing these parallels because I think it's for our listeners to just see as to what side do they th- think is appropriate. I mean, these, both of these parallels really just tell us that it's for the judiciary itself to decide whether they wish it's, uh, whether they wish that their people should be on the side of Mr. Justice uh, Justice Gogoi's explanations, or they should want to see that once you're a judge, then you're a judge and that is all. And I mean, and this also takes me back to this uh, document, which was known as the Restatement of Values of Judicial Life, which had a very strong ethical code of conduct for our judges. And I mean, uh, it's not for us. I mean, if we sit here and discuss something and we cannot be sure that the next day, the courts will take cognizance and they will decide. But I think the only institution that can set its baseline and that can set its code of conduct is the judiciary eventually. So, I mean, there is no right or wrong, but yes, we do expect some sort of um, ethical conduct, moral conduct by the judges when it comes to deciding whether they wish to see themselves as post-retirement beneficiaries of the government or the executive. Okay, Avni. So, Sort of you listened to Avni's explanation and she talked about, you know, balancing and separating the organs of state. And this is this this brings me to the next question uh, where, you know, ex-CJI in his only explainer said, and I'm quoting him, that legislature and judiciary has to interact at some point. But so my question rises is that, but isn't there better ways for that? For instance, there, are, there is law commission, there are statutory mandated 
nominations and positions for former judges of the supreme court uh, so what's your take on this reasoning by the xcgi Uh, thank you so much pranav uh, adding to avni's point what uh, i want to add is that uh, when justice gogoi was giving his explanation one of the point which he raised was that it is only 65 days where he has to come to raj sabha and rest of the days he does not have to so the arguments which he has put up like are so shallow that question has to be raised in uh, in certain way why because see uh, justice gogoi has not able to uh, justify his decisions there are there have been questions from all the segments like uh, this new jurisprudence of sealed cover uh, documents and also where the government is the major litigant the main litigant in all the matters like 80% of the matter government is the major litigant and then after retiring within 5 6 months you are going to uh, raj sabha which itself questions uh, justice gogoi and when he says that this is he'll act as a bridge Uh, between legislature and judiciary so what uh, what does he want to say like he'll be a mediator between legislature and judiciary so when judiciary need something they'll directly ask legislature or when legislature need anything anything they'll ask directly judiciary this argument was so shallow because there are uh, proper uh, provision in constitution also there are uh, proper case laws where it has been clearly mentioned that there has to be separation of power if tomorrow i am deciding a case and you are uh, the litigant in that particular case how can your uh, opponent can expect justice from that because people will get to know somehow we are related we being we me and you be both being a consulting editors how we how your opponent will understand how your opponent will get the real justice same will happen in this case also if we say that he'll be the bridge between the two institution so he'll be ensuring that uh, the justice is given to the government or justice is given to the opponent parties so uh, this uh, arguments is too shallow and also his actions does not support his arguments why from the day when uh, from the day of uh, his 12th january press conference when you connect all the dots you clearly realize that these were the instances where he was pushing himself not the institution so today also he is not pushing the institution he is pushing himself to the raj sabha seat so uh, this will not be a very good stand although i uh, accept this this is not a first time where a judge has been nominated but in the past instance also judges have contested election contested properly on congress ticket or bjp ticket and arguing this that uh, government is biased see initially also in the time of uh, from the time of independence we have seen government uh, we have like people have raised allegation uh, against the government that government is trying to influence judiciary and this we cannot say that current government is trying to do in the past also government uh, governments have done that today the question is on mr gogoi why he took this seat justice rm lodha after deciding these bcci case and all the important cases he said there should be a cooling down period of at least 2 years there has to be a cooling down period and also when you see the bureaucrats there is a cooling down period for them uh, that they cannot join any private organization because if a commerce secretary deciding a matter of a reliance a matter of reliance foundation and after retiring he joins as an independent director in reliance foundation there has to be question raised that he was biased while he was designing policies so this has to be taken in all these circumstances and mr gogoi putting his shallow arguments i don't accept it and the society will not accept this because he has to understand that today due to his action every other judgment will which will be coming from now and 
every person who does not get real justice just see justice is a subjective term but any person who does not get justice he'll raise question on the independence and integrity of the judiciary which itself is eroding day by day we have seen a major example a very critical example of this is mob lynching where people do not have uh, trust in uh, indian judiciary and they are trying to take law in their own hand okay so so i guess you both uh, don't you know see this nomination in a very good light and amni has given explanation of separation of power you have talked about inherent bias in such decisions so how much efficient and effective its result will be that depends on future but certainly it again comes in line with a number of unprecedented judicial just giving you a general statement that you know that there is some sort of you know it, it this decision again you know comes in line with a number of unprecedented executive judiciary interaction where public perception is to you know to to remains divided and uh, so just to conclude this topic you know, i will say that this this decision has contributed to a lot of controversy and judiciary has come in again in light of the judiciary executive dark nexus and uh, talking of which you know one issue which even abolitionists are tired of talking about is efficiency of death penalty as punishment and the reference part for this discussion being the nirbhaya case now amni you have been critic of death penalty um and i will ask you a direct question about it so why do you feel that despite so many years of reformation re- reformation theory and reformation school arguing about it it isn't getting enough attention from the governments through time well i think pranav since it's a direct question and i mean that i am sorry to say but there is no direct answer to this because we don't know why when the whole when most of the countries are focusing on going towards abolition why our country chooses to be on the other side of the spectrum and it's also i mean uh, what we really need to see is somewhere the policy making process and the thought behind it i mean eventually all these policy making processes especially when it comes to dealing with sexual offenses they come from a certain sort of mindset a social so- certain mindset and i think that the public consciousness and the public pressure is so high on um, meeting the demands of instant justice that the government so to say hasn't really thought about what more it could do instead of just you know doing the kind of uh, uh, death penalty uh, death penalty punishments that it's going on giving and uh, i don't really understand that i mean a very basic question which arises today is do i as a woman feel comfortable going out at night do i feel safe after the nirbhaya executions do will my daughters feel safe after the nirbhaya executions i am not so sure and if that basic demand hasn't been met i really don't see on a very personal level and on a very layman basic level as to how uh, we can still go on with the punishment when we know that there are so many other ways we can go about you know dealing with the societal problem that a patriarchal uh, society like ours sets so i think it it more comes from a certain sort of will power and a certain sort of policy push and also making things clear about what the government actually feels uh, when it comes to sexual offenses like these because i mean i don't understand why when there is absolutely no uh, basis of how it is deterring crime will the will keeping it in the statute books be really helpful and i mean of course this is also all of this is on the basis of the fact that we do really understand what women and the survivors and their families go through and that's that's a very separate issue and i mean for that we have things like really taking into account our intelligence services and the police services and doing something socially that could really help help us fight these crimes but i think 
um, the government is seriously lacking on doing something on those terms and instead it's focusing on you know like co- constant uh, public pressure to and giving in and that's all i think i can say on this okay so two points that i you know find out from your perspective is about the deterrence value of death penalty as such and about how public pressure is actually motivating government to not go away with the death penalty and sort of this is where i want to take your opinion that you know keeping aside whether death penalty is efficient or not i mean let's keep aside deterrence value for a second will public opinion ever be open to this approach and does giving you know there are a lot of political connotations uh, being given to death penalty or, or doing away with death penalty as as a liberal approach so when, isn't that a, one of the main hindrances to doing away with death penalty see prana what we when we talk about this what we need to understand is that when we say death penalty death penalty was an action of deterrence theory we said that uh, for deterrence we need to ex- uh, give death penalty and when we see indian society the public opinion public or people of our society and un- like understood this in such a sense that if people are given death penalty then only crime crime will be stopped so uh, it is inherited in their mind that death penalty can only stop uh, crimes also there is no uh, like there is no empirical study as such which says that death penalty has really worked or it hasn't worked like because see you cannot say how many people just because of this lo- so after this corona uh, lockdown we'll we'll again see we definitely know this that we'll again see cases like rape we'll see cases like murder we'll see horrendous crimes so we cannot say that after this 20 20th march hanging people uh, people will st- uh, start doing crimes like Uh, rape or horror, like any other crime against women so public opinion i don't think so they'll be able to accept why because you need to understand the real society of india the real india does not live in delhi the real india lives in the rural villages where they only understood uh, they only understand the language of language of deterrence they only understand the harsh language why because they believe that law is not doing its work if only death penalty is given to people death penalty is given to the Uh, convict then only it is sending the real message so public will not be able to accept it i don't think so public will be able to accept it easily also the political uh, class has to understand there has to be some other way not only death penalty there has to be some other theories which has to be uh, formulated in such a way which can give desired result because we have seen like after independence it's also almost 70 years we haven't seen good reformation theory in prisoners for the prisoners and also for the convicts so we have to make sure and the political class has to come forward for the uh, law breakers because we have to understand that they are the they are the people who are taking our resources also they a large amount of resource are spent on them and we are not getting the desired result so political class has to understand that for the desired result reformative theory is required and also public has to be educated in certain way which uh, through which they understand that that penalty is not the only solution there are also other solution and also criminals are born in this in this society only so we have to make sure that circumstances do not get uh, do not come forward uh, circumstances do not come uh, where a criminal is born okay so so talked about you know political class political class has to find 
some way to imbibe it in people and personally i have always felt that you know doing away with death penalty has to be a very gradual process it can't yeah, be exactly. imposed mm-hmm. it can't be revoked and creating perceptions taking everyone along unnecessary mention all has to be you know part of this gradual process if government ever wants to reform around it and i and mean now, just to add just one point i think more than anything even if we were to do away with death penalty what we really require is especially for horrendous crimes like these like a certain sense of certainty in punishment i mean if we are so sure that a survivor gets gets to the police station and she files a complaint or he files a complaint and we are sure that the police and the investigative agencies will be hellbent on getting apprehending the criminal i think that could be a very solid way forward uh, when it comes to really making people understand that there are more ways than just giving death I mean, yes. this is one of the major reason why our criminal justice system has failed because we have tough punishment for horrendous crime from very beginning of uh, law, but the implementation has been so slow that right. people have starting taking law in their own hand and they don't believe that judiciary can uh, give the real justice. They believe they can give the real justice. That is why death penalty as such has failed. Right. Yes, and I think you know what you both talked about. You know those certainty loopholes and you know implications on social class. And I think for our listeners, I will just point out this amazing project by National University Delhi on this entire death penalty project. And they should go to their website and check out this entire report of how death penalty has failed as such uh, as a punishment within Indian system particularly. Uh, and now you know, I think we will move to our last topic of the day, and which is coronavirus, and much talked about topic for India as we have moved on to a 21-day lockdown period after an appeal by the Prime Minister. And it, you know, fairly is a is a very complicated issue because we are assessing it as we are leaving it. And there has been you know articles which have questioned India's preparedness for it about equipments. We have been testing it about testing kit availability and prices etc. And now we are in a lockdown. Uh, so the uh so i'm asking you on a very you know uh, on a very three dimensional aspect you know about politics social and medical reasons and legal reasons do you think it was too late to impose a lockdown for a country like india which is very much you know in a high potential list for corona pranav uh, it was late or it was early i'll not say early but it was late we'll uh, like really uh, get to this answer only after we Uh, like this lockdowns open because we'll see the result but yes uh, before lockdown what we really need to understand is that all other circumstances like our health system our uh, political system how political class was not active they are still not active they are not, still not realizing how serious this issue is how we are not learning from those countries which have tried their best and now they have this flattening curve like south korea is one of the big example of that how china uh, in december was n- not telling but uh, briefly we all got to know that there is something called as coronavirus which is going around and it was definite that this will come to us why because people from wuhan people from other uh, neighboring parts were coming to our country and this virus was to like uh, it was definite that this virus will come to india but timing was not sure but our pre- preparedness shows that yes it was too locked down for all too late for all other policies like our health policy especially why we are not ready with health kits why we didn't have uh, stocks like we still don't find hand sanitizer or other issues why everybody was not alerted especially the unorganized sector that how it can impact them and yes after this lockdown opens we will definitely see this unorganized sector devastated 
and this worries me a lot also still after the lockdown people are not getting serious still day before yesterday i saw this uh, around 80 85 mlas of uh, madhya pradesh they standing together they shaking their hands My, i mean see they are the leader they need to set an example like today our prime minister uh, held a cabinet cabinet meeting where he led by the example and he was uh, everybody was in in a proper distance they were uh, distant from each other so the leaders have to live by the example and also people have to understand that it is not a virus which will come to a like privileged class or unprivileged class it is a virus which will come to you despite anything so uh, this has to be done in a very serious way also after this ends government need to realize that health is one of the sector where they really need to focus after 2017's policy where this uh, second national health policy was formulated it was said that you really need to spend 2% of gdp but they haven't spent they are not taking this seriously after this uh, ayushman bharat and all other schemes they really need to make that infrastructure to make sure that uh, after 10 years 20 years or i'll pray that nothing like this happens to our world but prayers can only help us but we need to face the reality the infrastructure has to be so strong that see countries like america and italy have failed they are not able to provide bed to the people who are uh, suffering from corona how will we uh, face that situation if we have to so after this ends after everything goes good government has to see that there is pro- there are proper infrastructure there are proper uh, facilities for uh, everything like every, everything like uh, for ensuring that people go back to their home for ensuring that people do not suffer from any other thing uh, from food to salary to income to everything okay so suddenly so you heard uh, sort of talking about the ground term aspects of this uh, epidemic about social impact about how leaderships has fallen across countries and how priorities are really being questioned and i want to discuss with you another perspective on this entire situation and that will be a you know, post endemic scenario you know i feel economy will be down you know, as and sorab also pointed that out their health sector stands exposed there is chaos in hand so broadly what i want to talk to you about is then you know in this time of information technology about this entire 21st century and a new civilization that we are stepping into that this entire civilization need to introspect its priorities and that you know we finally need to accept on a lighter note that karl marx was the only savior <laughs> Pranav, uh, I mean, I would be too naive, and we all would be too naive to believe that there was just one leader that could really save us all in this complex, muddled world. But I think Marx did not believe in religion, and I would like to, on this point, quote a Buddhist saying, which says that our nature is like water, but we behave like ice. And I mean, I leave it for our listeners to interpret it as well. But yes, I mean. we really need to figure out what a post pandemic post pandemic scenario like this would look like for our country and for the world i mean as a whole and also this information technology age i was just seeing the news in the in the evening and i realized that there are still fake news messages and uh, fake uh, messages going on saying things especially in the rural area saying things like if you sleep at night the virus will come and get you and you will not be able to get up again and i mean these are the kind of things we are listening even when the prime minister himself is you know addressed the nation and i mean these are people who really really listen to what the prime minister says and i mean it's really sad that we've come to a point where we these are such uncertain times and we're not sure what to expect when the economy will you know get its back up and 
it's really sad but i mean yes as both of you have pointed out i mean it's really time that we set our priorities right and the national health policy with its 2 2.5% allocation for the for the health sector as well as the education sector it really is the time for us to set what we really you know mean by welfare being a welfare state and what really is real technology and artificial intelligence when it cannot come to the use of when it cannot come to the use of in times like these so i mean let's see what happens but yes all prayers and good wishes to all our listeners and everybody out there who's fighting the good fight yes certainly and i think not only for we beating life out of thalis you know 2020 mm-hmm. will be a specimen right. year not to ask for again ever and there's so many issues in you know first 3 months of the year only i mean you know just look at the situation of uh, like last year i was you know alan alan musk was thinking to create uh, a colony out on mars but now he's at home washing hands just prevent just you know just not to be in touch with any human so yeah, i think it is warning of our nature nature is warning us for all our actions uh, i i think i think everyone edit everything as a limit to its own course and uh, i think where that's where nature is pushing it out now maybe probably out of some third force or something but yeah mm-hmm. but I, i i don't want to sound very depressing or some conspiracy theory out here but you know <laughs> avni talked it about that you know consp- this this entire priorities has to be there if we really want to move forward with this civilization right now Um, and i think that is that is it from us today uh, thanks to our listener please stay safe uh, stay at home and stay safe uh, thank you sora and avni for joining seeing you next week thank you everyone thank you for listening to the podcast do not forget to check our website for more updates and legal articles you can follow us on twitter facebook and linkedin see you next time